On the other hand, we have shaman using ecological, organic technologies, plant medicines, all of those things to augment ourselves. So I went, actually, they're both trying to do the same thing. Cyborgs are digital shaman. And shaman are ecological, organic cyborgs. Prophecies have foretold, and wisdom keepers all know, that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of the Time of the Feminine podcast. Today, we have a very real and raw deep and beautiful conversation with you. And before we get started, I would love to introduce our new sponsor, goddesswell.co. Goddesswell creates the highest quality of women's products for your highest self, specifically formulated by women for women to complement our inherent self-healing power, specifically focusing on PMS, menopause, hormone and moon support and urinary tract health. So what I love about this company is the intentionality within the medicine and the high, high quality of CBD that's within each capsule. So there's various lines. There's the harmony line for harmony and mood. There's the radiance line for PMS and menopause relief. There's the serenity line for UTI relief and Each capsule has two times more CBD than in any other capsule on the market, plus high quality essential oils to target and support relieving all of these various women's hormonal and sexual health issues. So for me, every day I take the Harmony pill for mood and hormone aid. And I say a little prayer and I connect with the medicine and I connect with the aliveness of the essential oils. And I ask for help with what I'm going through right now in my woman's health journey. And I feel like I'm giving myself the care and the attention I need. And so what's so cool about Goddess Well and Marcella, the owner's connection with Global Sisterhood is she's a Global Sisterhood facilitator herself. And she has made it available for the Global Sisterhood community to buy one product and get one free using the code SISTERHOOD. That means we get to buy one for ourselves, and we get to buy one with the condition of giving it to a sister to spread the love, to spread the health, and to deepen our circle of women who are healing ourselves and transforming the world. So go to goddesswell.co, use the code SISTERHOOD, and buy one and get one free to give to a friend. All right, now let's get going with the show. 
Hello, beloved friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Time of the Feminine podcast. Today, I am with Ada Paris, and I am so thrilled to be having this conversation today for numerous reasons. One, I've been in an ancestral healing portal this past nine days, and her work is an incredible fusion of many things. And I'm just going to read her bio here to give you a sense of the depth and breadth and cross-disciplinary magic that she weaves (laughs) in the world. So Ada Paris is a polymath and activist who uses her diverse background and skills to explore the intersection of ecology, technology, innovation, and art. As a chair of Mental Health First Aid England and the advisory group of the Center for Cultural Value, she advocates for social justice and promotes mental health awareness. Ada is also a fellow of the Royal Society of the Arts. She is the creator of Cyborg Shamanism. Yep, you heard it. Cyborg Shamanism, a philosophy that combines ancient wisdom, indigenous practice, and digital technology to inspire innovation and encourage people to consider the kind of ancestors they want to be. So I'm so interested in this conversation with you, Ada, today because I feel like there's two camps in the world And one is that reclaiming of the ancient knowledge, the indigenous awareness, re-indigenating ourselves, becoming more connected to the spirits of nature and really um, developing our future that way. And that that camp seems to be very anti-technology. And then there's the like AI take over the world. We can solve all our problems and and let's go to Mars camp. You know, it's like ascend <laughs> so far away from this earth. Let's let's go to a different planet. And here yeah. you are taking two potent and powerful forces in the world and you're merging them. And I have so much respect. I have so many questions. And I just want to <laughs> welcome you to the time of the Feminine Podcast. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. Thank you, everybody, for having me here. It's such an honour. Wow, where to start? I suppose uh, it starts with how you define technology. What is that? Because, you know, I suppose if I start with my background, so yes, I've been able, I have found myself, I've been able to create this beautiful sweet spot where I bring together many of the different things that I love. As a child, I wanted to be an astronaut. I fell in love with Mr. Spock and I wanted to go to space, to new spaces and new places because I was passionately curious. And I think that that's something that's been central to who I am, this curiosity. I have always been able to recognize patterns in various worlds. So in the worlds of the cyborgs and the worlds of the shaman and, and everything that is in between and circumnavigates that. And it's been a beautiful journey of self-discovery, finding my voice and no longer being afraid of talking about the patterns and the things that I saw and just asking questions. Hmm. There's a question that I've heard you ask multiple times to open up many of your talks. And so I'd like to ask it to you. Yeah. What kind of ancestor do you want to be? Ah. Uh, 
Yes, that question, such a powerful question. The type of ancestor I want to be is one who asks the right questions, that enables other people to find the answer for themselves. I don't go in and tell people this is the answer, but I want to create and hold spaces where people feel seen and heard that are recognizing the knowledge and the wisdom and the intelligence and the voices and the lived experiences of those who have been and continue to be othered. And that includes nature. Because, you know, as humans, we have this idea that nature is here for us. Mm -hmm. Um, Rene Descartes says that we should be the masters and possessors of nature. And everything that we do is all our structures and governing structures have been built upon that idea. So I want to be the type of ancestor who helps to make the invisible visible. Beautiful. Thank you. The masters and possessors of nature. Just oh. that term right there just gives me such a, a such a shiver in my spine. Always makes me cry. Yeah. Because it feels like the root of all oppression, actually. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Because to me, when I look at, and this is, some of this is how I ended up where I am, is recognizing that whether it's racism or sexism or homophobia or, you know, all these different things, gender equality and all, you know, issues and all of these things, the common theme to me is the perception of value and the perception of impact. And if we don't recognize that what we are creating is creating us and that we have a symbiotic relationship with with nature, who is it? There's a beautiful book, The Spell of the Sensuous, by uh, David Abram, who says that we are only human in contact and conviviality with that which is not human. We only understand our humanness because we can compare it and contrast it to anything else, to other And what we do is we create these hierarchies and say that we as human are higher than everybody, everything else. Everything other than human is there to serve our needs. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have a colonial extractive relationship with everything that isn't human, everything that we deem to be less than. And that's what makes me cry. And what do you think? I'm sure you've thought about this the seed of that cosmology or that orientation of how we believe, how did we come to believe that? What is, what is that in us? One of the things about me is that I'm always asking myself questions and sometimes I end up disagreeing with myself mid-sentence, mid-conversation. But I think that some of this, in this journey of exploring my own ancestry, I've been able to trace it right back to the 1700s and look at the impact that colonialism, capitalism and climate change has on our approach and our outlook on the world. And a big part of it for me is is the ego. Where does our ego come into things? This idea that we are better than, that we must have. And I'm not saying ego is a bad thing, but I Mm -hmm. think that sometimes, you know, because ego can also be what drives us, but there's a fine line between that and saying that we're better than and then using it to drive our desire to take, to continue to take, because we create these hierarchies of desire, these hierarchy of needs, and we say, well, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need more, I need more, I need more. And they become more material things. And the idea that 
the only thing that you know we really need is first and foremost is to make sure that this planet is here and when I go and do talks at you know corporate events I say to the I, I say to the business people market share and bottom line doesn't matter if we have no planet all the other things that you're doing this should be the first thing that we focus on this is why I ask the question what type of ancestor do you want to be because if we have to recognize that we are ancestors now and everything that we do, everything that we pull out into the world is changing that relationship. And we have a responsibility and duty of care to ourselves, to the planet, to all other beings. But the ego sometimes gets in the way of that. And it becomes this, well, I need this. I'm better than you. I'm, you know, all of those things creates this, this divide that is sometimes based in fear. Yeah, fear that's of what the I'm other too right now. Fear of yeah. the other. You know, if we think back to okay, take it to the you know, the theme of this whole podcast, the time of the feminine. If we take it back to our female ancestors who were seers and conduits and medicine women, and then we had organized religion and belief systems that came in that couldn't deal with that and so created new laws and new guidances and new ways of being. And we ended up with the Salem witch trials and, you know, the burning of women and the, you know, the, the whole, it felt like there was a big shift when we started to look at this idea of, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand your ways. And so I have to create laws and boundaries to be able to say, that I'm better, I'm stronger, and this is the way of doing this, and you are wrong, and your ways are wrong. Yeah. When you were speaking, I was in tune to the, like, my my human fragility of, of my spirit, you know, like the place where, as a human, it's like a tiny place I can feel inside of myself that's like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Am I safe? Am I loved? Am I going to die? What is really real? Like this, this almost like chaotic, insecure, vibrational fear in the collective of, of what is real. And, you know, it feels existential, deeply existential. And some of that, one of the things that I've realized recently, and this is about myself, is that I, you know, huge imposter syndrome, huge insecurities, yeah. But those things, my understanding, my journey, my exploration of them is that those things come because I'm comparing myself to other. Yeah. And so yeah. when we compare ourselves to other, that whole idea of I'm I'm not good enough, yeah. I don't deserve to be loved, I don't deserve these things, is because we're measuring ourselves against society, currently societal norms, societal's understanding and decision that this is what feminine is this is what a woman is this is what beauty is this is what achievement a goal is this is what you should be striving for and as I get older as I you know really start to explore my own question of what type of ancestor do I want to be I realize that those are not my measures of success those mm -hmm. are not the things that are important to me and I should not, I'm learning to not be afraid to say, no, I don't care about those things. I, I care about being kind, being present, helping other people to feel that I am present for them, 
when I'm speaking with them in those moments because that's all we want. You know, the most basic level, we want to be seen and to be heard and to be able to be not be afraid to share our innermost thoughts, our vulnerabilities, to step into those places and feel that we can share those with others who see us, who understand, who have some level of empathy and compassion. They may not be going through the same thing, but I think that that's something that we've lost, that empathy, compassion, and the gratitude for the lessons that come, no matter how hard they are. Mm -hmm. There's still lessons and there's still growth in them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a trust. It's a self-trust. It's a trust in nature. It's a trust in life. Yeah. yeah, and the current systems that we're in, in and I, and I know that I'm speaking from southeast London right now, so I also have a lot of privilege in that, in being able to speak from this position. But there's also the as much as I say the fragility and the fear. I still don't really know what fear is in comparison to some. I still don't know what, you know, a lack of understanding or the, the, the sense that I don't have choices or I have minimal choices impacts the way that I see myself, the way that I show up in the world, the way that I believe that other people perceive me. And that is also why I do the work that I do. That's what I mean by the making the invisible visible. It's such a broad term, but also it can be very specific depending on who I'm speaking to, what work we're trying to do, what journey we're on, what stage of life we're at. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier um, that this was coming from your own ancestral exploration. I'd love to hear a little bit about your ancestral journey and a little bit yes. about who you are and where you come from. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. So I am Ada Paris, the eldest of three, um, born to a Nigerian Igbo father and a Guyanese Amerindian mother. And my name, Ada, is a name that is given to all firstborn Igbo daughters. Wow. It means God's gift. We are the first, we are seen as you know the first daughter, the gift from God. My Igbo name is Ijoma, Ijoma, which means good journey. And so this whole journey of what type of ancestor do you want to be? This whole work has been nine years of recognizing patterns and mind mapping everything, and waking up at three o'clock in the morning and going, oh, I just saw the connection. But I decided that I also want to understand my own ancestry. And so I did various DNA tests, the ancestral DNA. I did two, actually. And what a surprise. So I, on my, and it's on my maternal side, I knew that my maternal grandparents were Amerindian. I remember meeting them. And my great grandparents, Amerindian, and come from, you know, Amazonian, and, you know, all of that. I knew that. But when I did the DNA, uh, the DNA tests, I have discovered that so far we traced back to 1700s Coptic Egyptian and Ashkenazi Jewish. Oh, wow. We are also North African, Sri Lankan, 
uh, Italian, Portuguese, Cypriot. There is some English and Scottish in there. Then we come, after all of that, in the late 1800s, we then get to the Caribbean. And so uh, Jamaica, Barbados, and slowly get into Guyana. So even the grandparents and the great-grandparents that I saw with my own eyes, we have so much lineage, so much history, that it makes so much sense. I am the way that I am and the work that I do, because that is part of my blood, that is part of my DNA. And I'm so excited to really start to explore a lot more of what that means. I would love to be able to go on a journey to really immerse myself in those environments and understand the ancestry and the, especially the um, the female history of those mm. times. Mm. So that's something that I'm working towards. So rich. I feel like the way we track ancestry, it's so hard to follow the female line. Yes super patriarchal yeah. and it and it we lose so much of the story and the wisdom and the identity of our our feminine ancestors yeah yes and it's beautiful because when i speak to my mother about so my mum is the eldest of 12 six boys six girls and when i speak to my mother about this journey that i'm on of rediscovering and reclaiming my ancestry you know especially on the maternal side you know, I start to unpick and understand more about the indigenous heritage of my grandmother and my great grandmother and those people that came before. And it's so, it's, it's beautiful. And sometimes I surprise myself and then I think, well, why am I surprised? The fact that I sometimes just have an idea. Or I just know something. I used to be, I used to wake up with these dreams. I remember I used to wake up in the middle of the night and go, oh, okay. I don't know what that means. But there's a vision and there's an idea and there's a narrative. Let me speak to my mum. And then she would help me piece it together. So I've always been able to really understand and see some signs. So one of the things is my body, I have lots of tattoos. And I, I've, I've always felt the tattoo before I, I knew what it was. So I could feel exactly where it was going to be on my skin. And I knew what it was going to be, but I hadn't thought about it in my head. And now that I've discovered a lot more of my ancestry and I know I have that lineage, that map almost, a lot of the signs and, and images that I have are from my lineage. Oh I didn't realize, I didn't, so cool. I, did, I didn't think about it, but I've got a, um, one of my most recent tattoos has a uh, blue lotus, which was the Egyptian sacred flower never knew. So I've had all, and when I now go back and look at, these are the ancestry, this is the land, these are the lands, these are the cultures, these are the belief systems of my female ancestors. I'm discovering that I already had that knowledge and insight and understanding. And now I'm just able to put a language to it. And when I say language, I don't always mean just spoken because I've started painting. I didn't know that I could paint, but I've started <laughs> painting. I've started creating soundscapes, whatever, however it feels that it needs to come out, it needs to emerge. I just do it. I make headdresses now and again. I'm That's just guided cool. to go. There is a desire to express that and it will come out in a burst. And it's, I will do 10 paintings and just suddenly 
10 paintings that don't make sense in the beginning, but then I pause and there's a narrative to them. Oh my goodness. You're a channel of the, the ancestral blood within you, you know, the making, bringing it to life through you and having it instruct you. It's so potent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I New Year, this new year, I decided that I wanted to go and do a meditation retreat. And I, last year, the last couple of years have been tough for everybody, but I just decided, you know, I'd had major surgery at the end of last year, and I went, instead of going to a party and hanging out, I want to go in. I want to take some time. And my intention was really to connect and understand my ancestors, my legacy. You know, what's the legacy that I am going to create? Because I don't have children. I haven't given birth. I'm not, you know, I'm at an age now where that's not possible. But I wanted to understand what type of ancestor am I? Or do I want to be? And what's the legacy I'm going to leave behind? And so whilst away meditating on this retreat, I really channeled into understanding the stories and the fact that their blood is my blood. You know, as as I was speaking to somebody who, who said, yeah, but when you go back that far, it's like 0.1% of, you know, being Ashkenazi Jewish. That doesn't really count. But I said, I had to remind them that as black people, we were counted by the one drop rule. And so that one drop means everything because mm-hmm. it's in my blood. It's part of who I am. And if you can trace it back to 1700 just from me spitting in a jar, in a vial, then that means something. And that mm. knowledge and that time and space to, to strip away all the other distractions I had, but to be able to strip away all of that and sit there and say, I really want to connect. I want to connect with what is in my blood, which is part of my DNA. I want to understand how that makes me who I am and what role and responsibility I have in creating something that goes forward. That's beautiful. I had chills when you were speaking about the 1%. It's really meaningful. People forget, yeah, the 1%, the 1% matters. And that's the, again, that's the invisible visible, right? Because to look at me, you wouldn't, you know, people these days, they look at people and they think you can tell who somebody is. You understand, oh, this you're black, you're mixed race, you're this, you're biracial, you're this, you're that. But you can't tell what happens beneath the surface. Yeah, and so the that, magic of their history. Yes, that, yeah. that one drop is still <laughs> one drop. And I celebrate it. I love it. And I, you know, it's, if people can see me now, the hands in the air, and it's, it's, this is going to sound strange, but the word that came through is juicy. It's juicy. It just makes me dance and, you know, get into my body. And I'm like, yes, I've got all of this. I'm going to go to the pyramids and I'm going to go to Sri Lanka and I'm going to go to these places and connect with the energy of those spaces and the history of women in those spaces and, you you know, and just go, this is a part, oh, I've got chills. This is a part of me. I'm sitting in a flat in Southeast London right now, but this is still a part of me. (laughs) 
You're making me want to like loudly proclaim I have yeah. 1% Cypriot as well. <laughs> do it. Do yeah. it. Listen, if we, we have to recognize that these measures, I'm reclaiming that. I'm reclaiming that one drop. I'm reclaiming all of these things because how dare you? How dare you come along and decide that that one drop is going to justify the fact that you are going to put me in a category, create a category, create these, you know, social ideas of racism and all of this stuff because you have decided that that one drop is inferior. Well, no, screw that. I am reclaiming it. I am reclaiming it all. I am going to celebrate it through my work and through my dancing and through my tattoos and through my, you know, my body is my canvas. And that's my art. I love it. Yes. Yes. So in your bio, there was a word that I don't know. And it was polymath. What is what does that mean? I have a feeling. I, I mean, it's the word poly, and so I'm just I'm gonna just like riff with it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, go, go then, tell me what you think. <laughs> make, I don't know the definition of this word, so I'm making it up. But when I, for me, it's like like a multidisciplinary merging of of something that feels really new that brings a symbiosis to things that are seemingly separate parts. I love that description. I love it. I. I Personally, I'm I'm not a fan of labels because, like as you know, like I just said with the one drop, you know, that people give you these labels, and then this is why I think I said to you at the beginning when you was we was just before we came on air talking about the intro and my bio. I always cringe because there's just labels that other people have given us. I'm human. That's what I know. I'm curious, but polymath is something that. A lot of people, when they meet me, they end up saying, oh, that's because initially, initially, especially earlier part of my career, people couldn't work out how to pigeonhole me because I, I would do this and then I'd do that and I'd be good at this. And in different industries, I worked in education, I worked in technology, I worked in advertising, I worked in all sorts of places. And they went, yeah, but you feel scattered. You're doing lots of different things until people discovered or remembered the word polymath in that I'm able to have a love and a knowledge of different ways, different areas, different things, and I'm able to bring them together. So not that I'm comparing, but famous polymaths, if I give an example, would be Leonardo da Vinci. Right. In that you're able to have this knowledge and love and ability to navigate these different worlds of, you know, for me, it was technology and sustainability, ecology and innovation and creativity. And I'm very fortunate that the way that my mother brought us up is that life is about experiences and not things. And so she encouraged us to go and explore these different things, these different ways. And so I've I've been able to go into these different spaces of art and technology and exhibitions and all sorts of things and go oh wait I recognize that pattern I recognize that from mathematics I recognize that from biology I recognize that from quantum mechanics and actually see and that's how cyborg shamanism was born 
through recognizing patterns in these different spaces where that people thought should be kept together or refute, couldn't see how they merge. And I would say, yes, but now that I've been able to go into these different spaces, these different worlds, and learn the very basics of those languages, I'm not an expert in any of them, but I'm able to go in and understand how to communicate to corporate banks and how to communicate to quantum physicists and how to communicate in the climate change, you know, ecology, sustainability area, and how to go and talk in, you know, advertising and technology and all of these things. Because I've spent enough time understanding and my curiosity has got me to be able to look at these things, which is why I said I didn't know that I could paint until I just started painting and sketching. I didn't know that I could make headdresses until I was going to an event and I wanted a headdress and I couldn't find what I want, so I made one. I didn't know that I could make a soundscape until I saw not just saw, I felt the whole narrative of a soundscape around me and I could immerse myself in different worlds. And then I just went, I'm going to teach myself how to use the software. And so that's what it is. But when I find a loose thread of something that looks interesting and looks like it's got a connection to something I've seen elsewhere, I will follow that loose thread and pull on it a little bit and pull on it a little bit until I leap in, learn the basics of it, learn how to do some of it or understand some of it and go, okay, so now I've got that. I can bring that here. And I love it. Yeah, I do too. I feel like it's so empowering. I I have encountered this in myself and I've heard other women say this too, that they don't like to be beginners, you know, to dive in and be the beginner of something, you know, it's, um, it takes a lot of courage to just be a curious, open-hearted, I can do that. And to jump in and try new things. See, I'm, I'm that person though. I'm, it can scare the the, the hell out of me, but I will go, I, I wonder what, I wonder what will happen if, you know, I wonder, you know, I remember I was in, I I did a road trip, Bolivia, Argentina and Chile, and I'm afraid of heights really badly. But we had this opportunity to go paragliding off the top of the Andes. Wow. And I went, ah, yeah, okay. And so (laughs) all the way up, we're in this truck, the back of a truck bouncing all the way up and everybody else is going, yes. And I'm going, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap. And I got to the top and I went, okay, you know what I need to do? What am I afraid of? Okay, I'm af- I'm not afraid of falling because I've always wanted to fly like a bird. So it's not that. I'm afraid of hitting the ground. And I'll probably hit the ground so fast I won't even know. So just let go of that and just enjoy the ride. <laughs> and that's my approach to life, you know, to things. That if I can name the thing that I'm afraid of, I then it doesn't seem so big. Yeah. And I would go, you know what? I'm going to put that over there. My focus is going to be being present and getting the most out of this experience because I may not be in this moment, this time again. And I do believe in timing. I believe that everything is timing. Everything is down to the opportune moment when it's supposed to happen. And so if I believe in that, then I also believe that I also choose to be fully present. Mm. 
and I will deal with the broken limbs after. <laughs> I hope I hope our listeners, all of you lovely people listening right now, really absorb that. I want to absorb that too. I think that's a huge nugget of wisdom to really just name the thing you're afraid of and, and become fully trusting of the present moment. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things more recently, that name in the thing that you're afraid of, recently I have been surrounded and enveloped by sisterhood yeah. in a way that I always knew, deep down I knew, but I had built up so many walls and barriers around I have to protect myself, I have to be this you know, label that people saw, this polymath, this whatever, futurist, whatever, I had to try and fit in. I thought I had to fit into those things. And as I mentioned, last year I had major surgery and in my head I was like, yeah, it's fine, you know, I can do this, it'll be all right, I've got things sorted. Oh, I was in some ways overwhelmed, but it was such a beautiful feeling with sisterhood my friends, they put together a spreadsheet of who's going to look after me, who's going to cook, who's available at this time, who's going to come and do this, even down to, listen, we will pick your chin hairs if we need to. We are there for <laughs> you. And it was this moment of, oh, wow. I let go. I allowed myself to be vulnerable and to open myself to say, I don't have to have all the answers. In fact, I knew that I didn't have to have all the answers, but I had convinced myself that because of the way that society portrays what a woman should be and what we should have and all of this and pits us against each other, that I felt I was operating in this, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. When actually deep down I was like, I don't have shit. And my friends are here supporting me, and that is sisterhood. And just reminded me how beautiful that is, and it can be, because you don't have to speak to somebody all the time. You don't have to see them all the time. But if you, like I said, are present for people in the good times and the bad, then that comes full circle. And I am very grateful for the sisterhood that I have, the global sisterhood that I have. Ugh, global sisterhood. <laughs> oh, definitely. I love global sisterhood. <laughs> like I wake up at four o'clock in the morning and sometimes I'm on the phone to my friends in Australia or New York or America or wherever because it's like, I want to talk to you. And I know we're on different time zones, so let's just make it work. Yeah. Oh. Makes me so happy to hear that. I really want to know about cyborg shamanism. Ah, yes. <sighs> really, like I said in the beginning, uh, these these two camps in the world. I, I literally, there's this really good friend of mine. He's actually a really good friend of my fiance's, and he's brilliant, like brilliant. He created this company, sold it. Now he's like super interested in like soil and, and new types of like vegetable oils that are good for the planet and good for your body. Like he's just, he's going to be a billionaire. He's brilliant. Okay. And he's pretty afraid though of the divide between science and nature, which camp. And his fears are, are this. 
his fears are that, um, you know, like what camp are you? Am I going to teach my children to be the nature camp or the technology camp? Because if they're the nature camp and technology takes over, they're going to be lost. And, you know, it's, it's, it, to me, to me, I feel like there's more integration possible, but this is his concern. And it, and so he doesn't know, you know, which way to raise his children. And so I'm so excited to open up this conversation. I think it's a it's a valid concern yeah. I think, for a lot of people. Yes, but I, I think that there are, it's not as black and white as many people try and make it. Exactly. So I, earlier I said that it depends on how you define technology. So the, the backstory to how I ended up in this place of cyborg shamanism is that it actually started about nine years ago when a a friend, extended friendship, um, got in touch with me, a woman got in touch with me. And I, so I used to be an armchair feminist is the way that I described it. I used to sit at the TV and sit reading things and just be angry and shout at them, but not actually get up and do anything. And I was like, oh, why, why is this all happening? And so what I did, but then I eventually got to a place where I went, well, I just need to talk about this. I need to talk about the injustices that I see, especially around women, non-binary, you know, three-spirit people. I need to talk about this stuff. And I got approached to write this book on feminism. And I was like, oh, crap. Now I have to write something. Oh, no. So then I decided I'm going to research everything that was written on feminism and started mind mapping. And we just went, wait, that's not what it's about. What are the patterns that I'm seeing in the world? What are the patterns that made me realize that this injustice is is hurting me so much? And where does it come from? So I just started mind mapping lots of different things and with no idea where it would end up. And eventually ended up with this huge mind map where I started to see that there were these groupings of things, these patterns starting to emerge. And I went, well, one of them is about identity. How do we tell, how do we define ourselves, our identity? What does that mean? And then there was culture. What's the the relationship with culture? How does that, what is culture? Because some people talk about small C, some people talk about big C, but culture is really the collective narrative. It's the collectives of our stories. Then I got into, okay, so what is technology? And I started to, part of my own journey at that time was to explore shamanism, to explore plant medicines in all their guises, to explore my own relationship with myself and with my ancestry, what I knew of it at that time. And what I noticed was around the world was that it felt like we were looking for a new religion this idea that there's got to be something that's going to come and help us understand our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with other and our relationship with our environment better than we could. And we had, we attached that, attached the idea to, you know, new age, uh, new age belief systems and the, you know, more and more people starting to go to Peru and all of those stuff to do ayahuasca and all those things. And I was going, it feels like people are still reaching for something else. There's a lack of trust, maybe, to go inside and understand what really is happening with ourselves rather than trying to put it on something external. And when I started to look at those patterns around where people were seeking for this new religion, I went, but hold on. The pattern I'm seeing is that they're using things 
plant medicines. Uh, at one point, it was at sound meditation, all of these things to do three things. Connect with and understand self. Connect with and understand each other. Connect with and understand our environment. And I went, but isn't that how we use digital technology? Isn't that how we use a phone or the computer or algorithms? And I was suddenly had in the space of going, I think that technology, all technology does is help us understand self, other, and our environment. And Please fact, elucidate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not seeing it quite yet. Okay. So when you, so I was brought up Catholic, convent school, went to, you know, convent school and was taught to believe that there is a God that you cannot see that helps you understand your relationship with yourself helps you understand your relationship with other, your community, the church, helps you understand your relationship with the environment. I spoke to a friend who is a quantum physicist about this. And I was like, I'm seeing these patterns. And, you know, and I think that there's something in it. She was like, oh, maybe. And so I said, look, I think that, and she said to me, actually what you're talking about is emergence. There are things that we cannot see that help us there, you know, we use mathematical formulas, but what have you, but there are things that we cannot see in this world of quantum mechanics that helps us understand our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with other, our relationship with our environment. That whole shamanism, plant medicine way. Take ayahuasca. People will sometimes use the plant medicine to help them connect with themselves to go deep inside, to understand themselves, to meet their higher selves, whatever journey people go on, to connect with others. You're in a sacred space to understand that oneness with everything. We are connected with everything, with every each, each other. Mm-hmm. And that to connect, to be connected with our environment, that we are, we have a symbiotic relationship with nature. If we then think about the mobile phone, we use it to understand, now it's a computer. We use it to collect data on ourselves. We use it to connect with each other, to phone, to video, like we're using on the computer now. We also use it as a research tool to try and understand our environments. And so I was in this space of just recognizing that this, that, that trilogy happens, happens everywhere. Mm. So on one hand, we have cyborgs, and cyborgs to me is really using some form of technology to augment the biological. It doesn't say that technology has to be digital. So on one hand, we've got cyborgs using hardware technology to augment the biological. On the other hand, we have shaman using ecological, organic technologies, plant medicines, all of those things to augment ourselves. So I went, actually, they're both trying to do the same thing. Cyborgs are digital shaman. And shaman are ecological, organic cyborgs, both trying to do the same thing. And I felt that they were either end of the same spectrum. But as I continued to do research, I realized that it's not either or, but they all, there's space for all to coexist. And that was the beginning of the journey. Wow. Okay, I have questions. I love, <laughs> I love that description because, I mean, when you were speaking about plant medicine and what people are seeking, that I completely understood. But then when I was thinking about technology, I was like, wait, but how does it help me understand myself? And how does it really connect me to the other? And I was forgetting the basic, the basic things, you know? Um, 
I think the thing it does the least is help me understand myself, maybe. I, I, well, digital technology. Digital technology. Digital, yes. So do you have social media? I do. Do you get recommendations from algorithms? Yes. That you sometimes click on? Oh, yes. I'm, so then I'm, it's... I'm very helped too. Yeah. So the technology is actually helping you to understand a little bit more about yourself, a little bit. It's connecting with things. It's predicting things that you like. So in one hand, there are algorithms that are taking your data, understanding who you are and feeding that back to you in different forms. And if you click on that, then that's helping you to get a little bit more of, oh, actually, yeah, I kind of like this and I like that and I like this. We use... Fitbits and Apple Watches, and we have these things that collect our data that give us our heartbeats, you know, readings on our heartbeats, on our, you know, I do exercises and I use it to check how I, you know, I use like my ring to check how I sleep. That helps me to have a better understanding of, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't eat that that packet of sweets before I go to bed because it's going to have this impact on my body. Or maybe, you know, I didn't sleep so well because I've been thinking about this or actually I need to get up and do a little bit more exercise or I need to drink And this is where some of my concern was that we're assigning so much of our understanding of ourselves to external things rather than going, you know what? My hands are very dry. My lips are dry. I should probably get some water. Then actually having an app tell me I need to go and drink. Right. Right. Okay. I understand that. Now I have another question. What we thought was really interesting was this cyborg augmenting our... What did you say? Our biology? So to me, a cyborg on a very basic level is we're using some form of technology to augment the biological. So the fact that I wear glasses, by definition, I could be a cyborg because I'm using it as a form of technology. I understand. Cochlear earplants, pacemakers, same thing. Uh Same thing. Yeah. And then when you go the other side and you go, actually, say somebody was going to go off and do a ayahuasca retreat they're going to use a form a plant form of technology right to augment themselves to have a better understanding to get better insights knowledge better knowledge better wisdom oh my god you're blowing I see my the mind smile right now. I just saw the smile <laughs> you're blowing my mind right now I just saw your smile and I went yeah okay it's <laughs> a moment of because it was huge so you can imagine right nine years of this just seeing these patterns okay wow. I don't understand. And I'd wake up at three, four o'clock in the morning and go, oh, I've just seen something else. <laughs> Down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, but it, but it, of, of the nuance, you know what I mean? When the world is so black and white, you're, you're going down a rabbit hole of like, of synergy and nuance, which yeah. I think is super beautiful. And okay. So now I have to ask you about AI. I okay. just have to. Because okay. like, I have more trust in, say, the shaman augmenting something in my energetic field mm-hmm. than I do, per se, like a conscious technology or a consciousness that augment, telling me something about myself. Or I, I don't exactly understand. First of all, maybe let's talk about AI, how close okay. we are to it. Okay. Because there were so many things that you just said in that last little bit that I was like, oh. 
Okay. Because you said the conscious technology, and I was like, oh. Uh, yeah, just, is- just, yeah, keep, take, take it away because I'm, I'm, I'm in the technology space. I'm, I'm quite limited in my understanding. So please just. I, and I, so I ask a lot of questions. That's what, that's essentially what it is. But in the digital, so now that we have this kind of shared understanding of technology is not just digital, I'm going to refer to digital technology and general technology. So digital technology, firstly, I don't believe that we can get consciousness. Artificial intelligence can gain consciousness. Okay. I don't believe that. Because that terrifies me. Yeah, I don't believe that. I believe that it has processing speeds that is faster than we can calculate and we can comprehend as humans. And then it can mimic what we think is consciousness. Uh But it's been fed lots of information. And the issue, a big issue is who is feeding it what? Exactly. What's their motivation? Exactly. Because is it, it coming then, from our trauma or is it coming from our, evol- our evolved awareness? Well, this is the issue. That's the issue I have with it. It's about, it's not the technology itself because it's not conscious. It will never be conscious. The digital technology will never, as far as I'm concerned, it will never gain consciousness. There are others who I've had conversations with who argue differently. That's fine. But I, my issue is what, it, what are the underlying motivations and the lived experience and the perspectives of the people who are building, designing and programming yes. the digital technologies that we're using? That's the issue. Yes. Because a lot of those technologies are based on colonial extractive ideas that then use language as a coding material to further separate. And so there are people then that can make, who have worked out that they can make money from these digital technologies by creating a walled garden around it of, we've created the code and this is what it is and this is how it's going to be used and this is how we monetize it, versus shamans and indigenous peoples and indigenous grandmothers and having knowledge and wisdom because it can't be contained because it can't be that's where this hierarchy this imbalance comes between how people define technology being only digital when it's not so that's where my my issue is however I did throw myself down another rabbit hole of technology the other a, a couple of months ago that I have no answer, but I'm going to share it with you. Please, because I'm going to sh- I'm going to share a, a rabbit hole, a rabbit, a worm, earworm, <laughs> which is if all things are made possible by organic matter, right? Isn't the computer just a distant cousin to humans and to nature? if we have that idea then which is huge and I have no idea where it's going I'm going with it but it's it's an idea then if we have that understanding then how my question is how would that change our relationship with these forms our reliance our dependence on those digital technologies but you were going to say something as well yeah it, it makes me consider animism yeah could you speak a little bit about that? Because I think it's really valuable here in this wormhole. So, so that is what, that's what I think it is. That's why I think that's why I am moving closer to understanding and connecting with the concept of animism. So animism is 
many First Nations peoples and Indigenous cultures, you know, that's the foundation, that everything has a soul, has a spirit, everything, you know, because it's because everything comes from organic matter. But I think that we have got our, ourselves into this space where we forget that and we go, well, it's, it's just a mobile phone, it's just a computer, it's just this. And, you know, we've turned, we've created plastics and we've created all these things that are harmful things. But actually, when we strip it right back, everything was made possible by organic matter. Everything was made possible by something that was living. And so there are belief systems who believe that that soul is what is transferred. It's not the living body. It's not the body. The soul and the energy is transferred. And so then does that mean that these things then have a consciousness? And we go back to your original question then. Well, this actually goes into a place of, of my study, actually. Okay. So I've been coming out of the closet with this a lot more lately, and I'm officially <laughs> out of the closet. I'm excited for this. <laughs> <laughs> now that we're having a program with Grandmother Claudia of the 13 Indigenous Grandmothers and a woman named Isabel Barce about mediumship, I've had to come out of the closet about my childhood experiences and my entire life of learning about my mediumistic gifts. And I believe we all have them and we all have different faculties. And I had to learn through extreme ways because I had, I was a very out of control, full body medium when I was younger. Oh, wow. Um, then that has changed. And I very aware in my day to day, in my life, through my practice of the different spirits, if you will, in everything. And there are some that are disincarnate souls, like people, souls that have left their body and those are a whole different vibration. But then there's these like conscious life forms that feel almost created from society or created from the collective that have their own identity consciousness, but they're not say souls that left the body. They're, they're here. They're here from what we're generating as well, which is fascinating. And so the idea to me that, well, for obviously like many of us listening to this podcast, we can feel the soul and spirit of the wind. We can feel the soul mm. and spirit of nature. It's very easy to feel that spirit. But there's also like a jet, like it's almost as if our thoughts are organic matter, right? And our thoughts can be living beings. And when there's a collective thought there becomes a collective energy that almost has its own identity that I can tune into sometimes and resonate with in my own body and approach it as if I'm approaching a living being when it's simply energy. So this is a wormhole for wow. you. Wow. <laughs> wow. My, yeah. There's, there's so much, there's so much that just came up that around, I've just, a friend recommended I go back and revisit the book, I think it's called The Kabylian, which is, so I, I will send you, I'll share the book, I'll share the details with you, but there is a book, there's a couple of books that people have recently said that I should share that is about the the, the mind being its own living universe. Yeah. And, you know, and thoughts having their own power, uh, you know, and energy. And I'm, I mean, I'm still in the place of I'm, I'm not even sure that 
it's hilarious for all of my kind of working in tech and IT things that I, I have this running joke with some friends that the only reason I would clone myself is so that I could read all the books that I wanted to read <laughs> <laughs> so that I can just absorb all the insight and knowledge because there's not enough time. And, and But I just, I'm in two thoughts because I'm in two minds about it. Boom, boom. I'm in two minds about it because I think that sometimes we can get so caught up in our thoughts and the power of our thoughts that we we misstep, is the way I put it. And that can lead us down a path of, it can lead us down some paths that we may not have intended to go down. Absolutely. And I think that there's value, there is also great value in being present in your body. So, for example, I'm a big fan of Vipassana meditation. The, the you know, that, of Vipassana meditation, uh-huh. which is, a, you know, you do it as a 10-day silent retreat. But at the whole point, there's a big part of it. Before you can really get to the real juicy bits of it, you have to shut down your mind. Not shut down your mind, but you have to, you know, you have to focus on... Well, it's... You have to observe yourself and not your thoughts. You have to observe. So you start by feeling the breath between your nose and that piece, that bit between your nose and your lip. And you out of a 10-day silent retreat, your four, the first four days is just breathing to feel this. And the more you do that, eventually you get to this point, I, or I'll speak for myself, where there's nothing. There's no voice. There's no nothing. There's no thoughts but I can feel my eyelashes curling in the wind. And I'm very aware of my physical sensations and my body. And that's nothing to do with thought. That is pure, to me, that's pure presence. Because we can have a narrative and a conversation with ourselves in our head. And, you know, we can have, you know, there are so many people who are labeled schizophrenic who are having these conversations. But in indigenous tribes, they may be medicine people and all sorts of things. So there is the whole, I think we have to be careful about focusing so much on what we think all the time. Because there is a level of awareness and energy that is about being present that we can just feel. Sometimes I know that I can go stand next to somebody and go, oh, I don't like their energy. They haven't said anything. They haven't done anything. I can walk into spaces and go, oh, no, I'm not. I can't be in the space. Yes. And that's not anything that I've thought. Yes. I fully agree that- with you. Yeah. yeah. And this is, this is, this is the experience I have. It's not through like mm. perceiving through the mind. It's through perceiving in the, my body, perceiving in the energetic field. And then the capacity of understanding that energy kind of opens and shows itself to me of what it is. Mm. And it almost is what I'm saying has a life form to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can understand that. I think I can, there are things there are things that as humans I don't think I don't believe that as humans we will understand everything I don't either I leave plenty of scope for unexplained things to happen that I'm just like what the hell but okay (laughs) and I think that that's important that we have that level of reverence for the other that's still part of the you know the other I was talking about that's still part of the other that 
just because it doesn't look like us. And this is this is all part of, you know, discrimination and all these things, however you package it, because it doesn't look, smell and talk and communicate like us doesn't mean it's not intelligent. Doesn't yes. mean that it doesn't yes. have its own form of communication. Whatever people want to call it, I don't know. But I do believe that we are not... In the grand scheme of things, as humans, we're pretty insignificant, really. <laughs> you know, in, in the, in, you know, if you think about the size of the universe and the galaxies and all of this, and then there's us having a great time, a little too much of a great time on planet Earth, you know. And then there are things that we cannot, we may not have the intellect the insight the foresight to understand there is knowledge and wisdom that our ancestors had to build the pyramids and you know all of these places that we're still trying to figure out now we've got computers we've got artificial intelligence we've got all of these things we still can't replicate them so how does that happen i don't know but i love the fact that it has I love the fact that we still have these things to see, to witness. I love the fact that going back to the one drop conversation that I can trace my ancestry back to recognize that they were rocking around with the pyramids. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I love you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I love you. I love the work that you're doing. <laughs> I, uh, it's, um, in this time of the feminine, and by that I'm talking about energy, not biological. I just want to be clear and say that, that I believe that we are in a window of opportunity. You know, the pandemic made space for cyborg shamanism to come out into the world, because before that, when I spoke to people about it, they used to say, oh, you're just too hippie. Don't talk about it. Nobody's going to want to talk to you. No, your clients aren't, wanna go, aren't going to want to work with you. It's too woo-woo. It's too out there. And then the pandemic happened and we had this collective existential crisis where we, regardless of gender, ethnicity, anything, we all had to stop. We all had to, we, all, we, could, we didn't even have a choice in much of it. We had to stop. And, but we also saw the peeling back of the layers of much of the discrimination that had been masked. Yeah. You know, people like uh, your ex-president, one of your <laughs> ex-presidents, who shall remain nameless, the, the uh, yes, you know, a master at using social media that his, his behavior was so abhorrent that it also helped to give space and give the just we were so angry that me too movement really came bubbling up because we went enough is enough and i'm not giving him credit for that but i'm saying that there were things that needed to happen for the layers to be lift you know the the shields to be dropped from our eyes and you know the scales to be dropped from our eyes and layers to be peeled back for us to go you know what enough enough and there feels like there is this 
regathering of the tribes of the feminine of that end of those energies of the tracing our maternal ancestry and being vulnerable in sisterhood and naming our fears and still going through but doing it from a place of empathy and compassion and gratitude and calling out the bad behavior just calling it out and going i am not alone i am not alone this is not me this is not my fault this is not this is something that has happened to me i am not a, i refuse to be a victim to this i was out you know recently and a uh his behavior around me he crossed so many boundaries and i just was like nope you are crossing my boundary. You're trying to cross and break my boundaries and I am not standing for that. Your behavior has made me feel uncomfortable and I do not condone what you're doing. Back off. And he backed off. We have to be, you know, we have to, not have to, because that means that is... If I say have to, it's negating the fact that some people are in some situations that are so difficult that they feel trapped. And I know what that feels like. I've been, you know, I have my own experiences of that. And when, when I see some of that, you know, you have to be mindful of how you can approach certain situations when you see them outside. But one of the things I always try and do is always try and let people know that I see them. Homeless people, people experiencing certain things that you see happening, bad behavior that you see that you don't know if you intervene, it's more dangerous for that person. But you, I choose to let that person know that I see them in the hope that one day something different happens. They find the courage or the strength or what have you to, to say enough or to say, I need help. Because that's the other thing. We're not always good at asking for help. That's what I feel this time is. And that's what, when, I, when you think of the time of the feminine, I think that that's what some of that is as well. I'm going to love bomb you right now. Get ready. You ready? Okay, first of all, I'm going to share with all of our listeners what you're wearing. You are wearing a half black shirt and a half white with some kind of, can you stand up? There's some kind of like merging of the black and white, which is, yes, it's like a- Clover, 40 clover. There's like a black splotch that goes into white and then the white that goes into black, which is perfectly what I see you as. This unifying, you are an example of the time in the feminine and an embodied woman perfectly of unifying masculine and feminine, unifying seeming opposingly opposites through empathy, the superpower of empathy, unifying them so that they can understand one another and more so than understand one another, merge to create something more powerful than before. So I love bomb you. I appreciate you. I see you. Thank you for your work. Thank you for being here. And for our last question, in this moment, if you could open up your heart and call on your ancestors and connect deeply with the great mother, what would she have you share for all of us? 
Mm. We are all seers. We are all conduits. We are all medicine women. And so it is. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in to the Time of the Feminine podcast. It is such an honor every time to be able to host these conversations and to share the stories of the beautiful people we get the opportunity to interview. And so if you enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and leave us a review. You can do so on Apple Podcasts and write a nice note, or you can do so on Spotify by leaving stars. We so appreciate every single one of you that's taken the effort to go out and to share with others and with our community about how this podcast has touched you. It really means so much to us since for us, this is a labor of love. And so thank you for giving back in that way. Thank you.